I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This week, we're doing a roundtable discussion rather than a one-on-one, which means I'll have a couple guests with me. The first guest that I have is a good friend of mine named Ariel Bricka. He's, well, he's Iranian, but he grew up in Stockholm and uh, went on to make the techno anthem Groove Lacord on Transmat back in 1998. Eventually, after that, he went on to record various records and albums for Peace Frog, Fragile, Music Man, Compact, Poker Flat, and others. Uh, recently, he did a record with uh, Sebastian Mollard of Mini Log, and that's available on Mule Music, so check that out if you're a, a Real Bricka fan. Um, second guest is uh, a good friend of Ariel's and a friend of mine. His name is Brennan Gregory, better known as Chimera. Chimera is a guy that uh, started making tracks. Well, I don't know exactly when he started making them, but he started putting out records about 10 years ago. Um, Some of his first stuff came out on labels such as uh, Supreme, um, Delson, and Ovum. He went on to do stuff for uh, NRK Sound Division, uh, Cocoon, Figure, and more. So uh, check that stuff out. Both of these guys have sort of this uh, melodic, almost trance-leaning sound, but you know, heavily influenced from Detroit techno. So if you're in the mood for something a little bit more bubbly and soulful rather than you know just hammering rave stuff, check this out. Um, I can tell you that also that both these guys, uh, on top of making dance floor tracks, they do really cool ambient-leaning tracks or things you can listen to at home. So if you're looking for other background music in that electronic vein, both of these guys can pull that off. Y'all. All right, welcome to the show, guys. Thank we you. got Aro Bricka and Chimera here today, a.k.a. Brennan. Um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves so they know whose voice is which? Um, I'm Ariel. Brika. And I'm Bren, a.k.a. Camara. Well, thanks for coming over. Gracias. Um, yeah, I wanted to have you guys over just because, uh, well, we're all kind of friends, and I like, I mean, the one-on-one episodes are cool, but it's, you know, it's fun when you get a couple guys together and you're just hanging out, shooting the shit, and uh, kind of all on a similar page. You guys are even working together a bit on stuff. Is that something you want to go into later or not really? Or Yeah, why, why not? not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, you're both... Uh, kind of doing this sound that's a bit more on the I don't know what people would refer to it as Detroit leaning neo trance whatever trans for adults yeah that's what something like that's that what that's I what call. he calls it yeah I don't know what I make anymore but yeah you've been melodic. kind of all over the place but it's always kind of just been very melodic and, and soulful in a way yeah what's I, up you got to turn up the volume more no you said I'm on two before no I said he's said on three. two you're on three baby Oh, yeah, that's, so. I'm on three. That's what I'm saying. Oh, are you guys? I'm on two. You'll figure it out. Just turn it up until it sounds loud enough. <laughs> cool. Yep. Drinks tonight. We got Bren. He's making old fashions for us. My old fashions. God. Thanks for bringing it all over. You're very welcome. I forgot the bitters. I had all to right. run out for some bitters to your local bar. They no were problem. not happy about that at all. Shout out that's to okay. which bar? To I don't even remember. Si Never going back there. <laughs> <laughs> He's banned. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyway, let's start off with the the easy stuff. Like, Bren, you're right here to my left, so let's start with you. Uh, for example, you started off about, what, 10 years ago, I guess now? Started Something releasing, like yeah. 
or at least releasing properly in yeah the end of 2006 i've been making music for about five years before that in ireland hanging around message boards which i think is where we crossed paths maybe once upon a time back in yeah, the I early, what was it? early was it noughts or something. Maybe Blackout G-Tech or one of those. G-Tech, G-Tech was also or, one. And 313 or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I think I was hanging around those for a while. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Were you ever on the message boards, Aro? Uh 313, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The 313 list. Yeah. yeah do, are there still, are, do those lists even still exist? I think they're archived somehow. I don't even know if they exist, but I think somebody brought it up a while ago and, uh, and uh, I got a link to it, but yeah. Yeah. Should look. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of miss those days though, because, well, first of all, it was it felt a little bit more communal. Now with Facebook, everything is like a very disposable thread. So if you if us three start a conversation about Depeche Mode tonight or something like that, and its influence on dance music or whatever, um, you know that thread will last maybe like twenty four to forty eight hours, and then it'll never be referenced again. Whereas when it was on a forum that specialized in this stuff, that stuff stays around forever. I mean, there's still forums for things like gear and more specialized topics, but yeah, not really a music forum. I think even email lists last even longer because you could subscribe to those. So our emails from you know 12 years ago could still be in someone's email inboxes somewhere, conceivably. But the 313 list was... That was a uh, exactly list, yeah yeah but you could also view it on the internet as well there was like uh, a, an I archive was, of it okay uh, yeah. this was way too early for me it was okay oh, funny yeah like because forums kind of uh, a lot of them tend to go down as well or they change hosting and then they lose all their old messages and stuff so I think email lists are even have even more staying power yeah as such true story true so story. you got started off early on I think it was Ovum right away right. Yeah, Roughly. well, yeah, I had one or two little kind of smaller releases, and then uh, I had a release on an Austrian label called Supreme Entertainment, and Josh Wink heard the release, and he really liked one of the tracks, but he didn't like the second half of it, and he actually emailed me and he said, hey, love this, but hate the second part. Is there any chance you can make an edit for me? And I was like, okay, of course, if Josh Wink comes, yeah. comes emailing, of course. So I did. I made it, and he played it, and he loved it, and then he said, hey, if you got anything else like this, send it my way. And I did, I think like uh, about two or three weeks later, I sent him some stuff I was working on at the time. And one of the tracks was Umbrella, which became my first release there. Nice. Then uh, I think what was next, Figure, Len Fackey's label? Yeah, I had two two releases uh, with Len on his label. um, And that also led to me, he invited me to play at Bergheim in 2008, I think it was, um, which was (laughs) pretty interesting. Actually, it was... It was a lot different back then. It was a lot different. The thing was, I was coming, so I'd, I'd been living in Costa Rica for a year, like out in, in the middle of the of Latin America, just uh, doing some internet, like during that time, customer service stuff. Yeah. And then I, I came back to Europe, like just a few months before that point, I came back at like the, the end of 2007. I moved to Barcelona and I was really kind of out of the loop with everything that was happening in the club world. I'd actually never heard of Bergheim or Panorama Bardis. They were... You know, I just I wasn't really kind of in the loop with those sort of things. And suddenly I got I got this offer to play Bergheim. He said, oh, yeah, cool. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I told my agent, I said, oh, yeah, Len Fackey just asked me to be Bergheim. And I think he he kind of like spat out his coffee <laughs> or the phone was like, what? Oh, my God, man, that's awesome. That's- yeah, I mean, that was actually at that point, um, you know, the club was still 
you know, for those DJs that played a lot or the people that knew what's up, it was already a big thing, especially in Berlin. It was obviously big, but it didn't have the global uh, attraction yet. It wasn't, yeah. I think, until like 2009 or 2010 where all of a sudden everybody knew about it and Rolling Stone was writing about it. And know? I wasn't like a, a techno tourist or anything. I didn't go on clubbing weekends or any of this kind of stuff. Like a lot of my friends. And the thing is that in, in the... In the month or two before the gig, I started getting all these emails from random people I knew, and they'd been checking the listing and said, "Oh wow, you're playing a Burkhan." I was like, "Oh yeah, cool, you know, awesome, nice." Word. And yeah, since then you've continued on with Connoisseur, a uh, couple records and an album. Yeah, right? Connoisseur and uh, where else? Dirt Crew, Cocoon. I've got another record coming out in Cocoon this summer, and uh, various other things have branched out into not just from techno into like house and, and into deeper stuff and also making, I've got an ambient album coming out in June as well. And so where? It's on a label called A Strangely Isolated Place. It's run by a guy, Ryan, from, from England who lives in America. He's, he's an absolute um, encyclopedia of ambient music and he's he's got a really beautiful label. Um, they do really great artwork, proper full vinyl release. So I'm really happy that that I found a good home for it there. Awesome. Nice one, man. And Ariel? Yes, sir. <clears throat> You've been around for quite a while, too. Getting old now, yeah. What was... Was it 98 was the first re- release? Um, Around... I mean, my first release was a Swedish release on a label called Dunkla. Dunkla. Some compilations they made, 96, 97. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the real releases came 98. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, well, Transmat and all that connection, was that 98 or 99? Uh, it was even 97, I think it started. Okay. But yeah, around 98 and 98. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And obviously, well, for us, we know, but you went on yeah. to, to release Groove Lacord, which is kind of an anthem. Yeah. Uh, little did I know. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a very different track from what I was making at the time or even now. And I put it on the B side of a demo and never thought anybody would notice it and that was the track that uh everyone Detroit not everyone I sent actually well I've told this story many times I feel now but uh, tell it again well there you go (laughs) (laughs) I sent the demo uh to various labels in Sweden in Europe like uh Soma and FCOM and all of these none got back to me nothing and then after a year of waiting basically I just gave up not gave up but I I figured fuck it I'm just gonna send it to Detroit so I sent one to 430 West and Transmed and both labels got back to me in like a matter of days. And one track that was mentioned was Groove Lacord. I'm like, why this one, you know? So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, shows that I'm not a A&R, so I should just keep making music. Well, it seems that, you know, simple stuff to this day always seems to be the, the way to go. Sure. I mean, I, I think we all, especially as producers, kind of, we get off on putting on a lot of different changes or yeah. like very uh, methodical kind of ideas. But on the dance floor, most of that doesn't really translate. No. I'm still going to continue to try and shove that detail in anyway, but I'm wasting no, this my was, time. This was just sitting, I mean, I had to finish it. This was back in the, you know, that era. And uh, I made it in my headphones literally within 15, 30 minutes. And I had a, uh, a, a, f- a friend coming over. I'm like, well, if this is going to, it's one of the, uh, unless either you record it right there and then or it's not going to be recreated uh, uh, the next day so I just recorded and it's the first take the first take that I just 
uh, recorded and ended up just saving somewhere. And as I said, it was like track number 15 of the of all the bunch. I think there must be some kind of inverse ratio, the amount of effort you put into the track versus like how well it's yeah. received by people. Most tracks, like you just quickly just jam, you know, you spend minutes, an hour, you finish them. Yeah. Those are the tracks that the label's like, oh, this one. Like, yeah. why this one? Version one or something <laughs> like yeah. that. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, uh, some somebody said the other day, they're like, do, do 100 versions or mix downs of a track and to me that idea is, is asinine just because uh, <clears throat> first of all with a hundred different versions there's going to be so many details that you won't be able to tell the difference it's like if you have four or five different versions of a track mixed downs it's almost hard to tell the subtle differences between those you know and, I don't even know my tracks I mean at this point I would I mean I wouldn't know uh, the recorded tracks that I've actually released I don't know exactly when everything happens. Like, I don't know how I would even remember making 100, 100 mix downs. As in arrangements, you mean, or mix like downs? Like, mix downs, more or less, you know? I mean, I make different versions of my tracks as I make yeah. them. So, sure. if I, and there's sometimes where I like bounce out like an early version, I'll send it to Arl or something. And then, then I keep working on the track, and then I find the version I sent to him, and I go, oh shit, it was way better that first one. And yeah, I yeah. The first it's thing. less polished. And yeah. But I'd, I would never make, like, purposely make different mix downs of a track. I, I'd always just kind of keep working towards a mm. a finished product. Yep. True. Since yeah. then? <laughs> Since uh, then, nothing happened. I mean, that's yeah, I, I just, made Groove Like Chord and then... <laughs> just cruising. <laughs> Sat back in your ass. But yeah. no, you, Cashing you, in. You've had releases on Peace Frog, yeah. Music Man, Compact, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, variety of records. I was, uh, I mean, it still took a, t- a long time. I mean, uh, the album Departure in Time on Transmet came out in 99, 2000. And then it took seven more years until I made a, a new album, which was on Peace Frog. And uh, yeah, and fast forward till now, I still, I mean, 2007 was the last, 2008, when uh, I'm, I think I am there uh, right now. I'm where I was back in 2007, 2008. I just accumulated a bunch of tracks that I'm uh, that I discussed with you actually the other day if I should send 30 tracks to a label or not and the answer is I, no exactly. definitely do not. not it worked 10 years ago I forget <laughs> no, fuck it I'm not I don't want to go through all this but yeah uh, it seems like uh, I like um, just working up a, uh, a body of work and then just get rid of it at the same you know at once anybody who's listening send your four best tracks out and that's it yeah all right unless you're rl then send all 30 <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so that that album and then uh, uh ep on compact and poker flats and some remixes, some remixes yeah detron's remix i did for detron eichling pretty did pretty well i think adam but, bear uh, and joel right yeah yeah that was guys. not uh yeah joel true as well soul, for true yeah. soul yeah Adams was like that. That was the first release on True Soul. I did the True Soul one. So you and Speedy J. Yeah, I mean that his remix. The Speedy absolutely. J remix is God. one of the most all time epic classic yeah. remixes. And there's not a kick drum in it at all. Yeah. yeah, my track was the one with kick drum, and Adam was the you know he's like why it's kind of as usual with Adam. He's always wanting the the kick drum a bit higher or a bit mm-hmm. something. And what did you do to it? He asked me. I was like, I actually uh, tuned it down. And he, I never heard him in such an honest, of course I heard him honestly say, but it was, 
he really like but but why why would you do that <laughs> like it just fit the music better like well and that was still you know recorded uh, on that i believe or, or some kind of like one I, I one just, and done scenario yeah it was on a, on my hardware setup at that time with the mpc and everything so like so yeah you like it or not so ended up staying cool yeah yeah excellent um yeah, the one thing that I thought about when we were talking about albums here is that uh, I, I'm, it might have come up recently on the show, too, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. But, you know, uh, it came up again last night. I watched that Daft Punk documentary, oh, yeah. which was horrible. I liked it. I didn't like it. Really? It. Yeah. Well, the well. thing is, is like um, they spend so much time kind of focusing on like shoving the idea into your face that they we're going to try and be pop stars from the beginning, but they did. They didn't uh, spend enough time. They never spoke about Stardust. How can you not include Stardust All right. mm. in the documentary? Granted, that's not a Daft, uh, Daft Punk record, but I mean that record was just as big as Defunk and Rolling yeah. Scratch, and if not bigger, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely more timeless. And all like the Roulette records that Thomas Bangalter oh. did. I mean, those are legendary records. Le- mm. Yeah, and uh, even if they would have just said that it existed. They could have done that, but did nothing. Absolutely just, you know, let's fucking listen to Pharrell talk in his pink hat or whatever <laughs> for 20 extra minutes, you know? Uh, is Kanye. it a new movie, is it? Yeah, it's now on Netflix. Oh, um, okay. Mm, cool. Yeah. It's it's worth seeing. It, it's, worth, it's check it out, it, but it's just... Is it on oh. the German Netflix? Yeah, it like is. Here? Oh, yeah. cool. And okay, with English exactly. subtitles. So, but anyway... um. They were talking about how uh, it was like six years in between the first and second album and then another four after the second to third or vice versa. Anyway, it was like long periods of time and people are wondering, is is something coming? Are they coming back? Are they not? And that was at a time when you could actually take time off between albums and it wasn't a big Mm -hmm. deal. But since we're living in the like very digital age, digital age. In, in, in dance music, which is highly disposable, if you take uh, even two years off without doing a EP or an album, it's like you've disappeared. There's a whole new generation that has no clue. Unless you're Ben Clock or Marcel Detman or something. Unless you get up to that level, but like for anyone but else. But yeah, they got a massive club behind them. Yeah. But Arl's pointing to himself here, which yeah, I think I, it's more than two years by now. I mean, uh, uh, I did, I have done some remixes and some compilations, but. It must be over two years that I've even released a an EP. It's like you're hanging out with me too much. I know. Too many drinks, too many foods, too many coffees. Yeah. And Berlin will do that to you. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, you know what I mean? Cheers. Like uh yeah, cheers. <laughs> you you can't uh you can't take the time off or not even take the time off, but just you take can't the take time your foot to, off the gas. Yeah, or at least if you want to be a uh traveling performer. Yeah. You know, if you have a day job and you don't care about traveling, then you can take eight I years. Mean, for me, it, I, I think for me it changed because, it not that it changed, but I felt, um, I, I've tried to analyze it the, the past, uh, I mean, we all three of us, I noticed last week when we were having drinks and food, as usual, got into the same conversation, basically how things are kind of been slow or um, uh, for whatever reason, if it's winter time and, you know, you're just getting comfortable in your couch. But I, I just... I if I was DJing, I'm just imagining if I was DJing, I would be more up to date, feel more inspired, and I would actually feel like making music. But 
if you're doing your live set as in playing your own music live constantly coming back home on a sunday monday doesn't really get get me in my case at least you know very inspired to just open my laptop or turn on my gear and and, and make a real greek music again whereas i imagine if you would dj you would come across new music you're playing and you i you know i would probably be playing very different music as as a dj if i wasn't but uh, it's just uh i don't know i agree with you i mean you have to these days you really have to be stay on current you to be on it yeah. for those who don't know rl only plays live he doesn't yeah. dj <clears throat> just to clarify thank you but um yeah i mean i mean i kind of resent this the the way that that it is you know that you do have to kind of always keep up coming out with a release every you know say six months or a remix in between and podcasts and all Club this kind of night, stuff yeah i mean stuff. i understand it but i dislike it because it it favors the people who i'm not going to say favors that, quantity over favors, quality exactly it does that's that's what it does you got people who are churning out like these functional tracks not necessarily outstanding tracks and then you got other people who take a long time they, they they only put out maybe one record a year or something and only if you're at a certain level like if you're up at the at that kind of top level you can you can afford to do that and and otherwise it's it's always just really just riding a wave each time you get like you put a release and then a couple of months later you get like a, a bunch of bookings and then and then it goes down again until you put your next release that's true but you know i have to say i mean of course uh when you're at this kind of like top tier level where you're one of those 15 to 20 DJs that are hitting every festival in the summer. I think even those guys are feeling the the pinch these days to be more productive because there's only seven nights a week in Ibiza and they're all spoken for. So if you don't have your own club night or if you don't have your own mixer or something like that, then you, you got to have something to kind of keep the people inspired and like for example carl cox doesn't need to because he's legendary yeah but i mean like even uh you know friends of ours like adam bear mm. uh, and people of, of that stature they still have to keep kind of busy too whether yeah, it's yeah. a single or an album because if you're not doing anything you're just touring it's uh you need something to help push you, you but know? then the question is like I, I guess that's what uh Brent meant as well was uh but what what is not to connect to any names you mentioned now? Yeah. But for me, it's the quality. Like, would this be music I would actually play myself after a year or five years, mm-hmm. or is it just you know for a reason to get your name out and get the PR publicity, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it? Um, and it's yeah, functional music in all. I guess as a DJ, I would get that. But um, yeah, I just wish it would be a bit more. And I'm not the right person to decide what's quality, but at least something that I would listen to in two years, five years, ten years even. Sure. Exactly. And other than that, then let's just call it timeless music then and instead of quality. You know, if, if it's mean, not, oh, this sounds so 2012, Ibiza, July, August, blah. You know. These people who are churning out tracks all the time, their tracks are being played by all the DJs who play every weekend. And they play the tracks for you know, maybe a month or something and then that's it. Then they're gone. And yeah. the same, same as sales on Beatport. If you, if you don't, uh, if you don't, you know, splash into like the, the charts on Beatport, um, that's your window gone. You know, you're not, there's very little sales you get on back catalog, um, yeah. you know, month after the release is out. That's it. Yeah. I mean, the, the remix I did for, uh, uh, Sailor and I, which was a very different track for me, even for me, I mean, uh, in terms of vocals and, 
melody. Speaking of Beatport, that's still I don't know when it comes to download or to streaming. I'm still getting that's. I think that came out three years ago by now. And even if more, I, no. I think three years, maybe four. Years. Yeah. God. <laughs> Uh, but that's 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 a different kind of track though because it's, it's not it's very different it's but, not necessarily a club track no but all. that's what I mean yeah. like and I don't I don't I don't like to uh, to differentiate the music in, in club house music techno mm. music ambient or you know if it's if it's a good track it's a good track and Absolutely. I think people would still listen to it or buy it and that's what I meant with uh, quality or timeless if you're into something like Umbrella <laughs> or <laughs> you know it's you would still put it on and be like yeah, yeah. But it's, same, at the same, there can be really like absolutely one-dimensional tracky tracks, mm. which are still timeless classics as well. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, sorry, I'm not saying they need to be yeah. uh, three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's, I love the minimal stuff in the 90s yeah. that came out and I would still listen to it, but that's what I would consider timeless or quality. While as these days, it's functional, but I would, I can't see myself listening to it again mm. in a couple of years. I know what you mean. Anyway. No, I, I feel you loud and clear, you know. But that's the thing, like, um, I kind of had this discussion a while back. I wanted to, I can just turn your mic down while you want to eat some food. It's no problem. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, the thing is, is like, I wanted to, you know, because there was a point when it was kind of going from minimal and transitioning back towards techno or tech house or whatever that was around 2010, 2011. And um, something going on outside there? Yeah, it's just real quiet. Anyway, um, but the thing is, is, uh, you know, I wanted to make tracks that didn't really sound like they came from 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I wanted to make it timeless, like some of my old favorite Music Man records or something. You couldn't tell if it came from 94 or 2014. or You know what I mean? And... But I was struggling with that, and uh, Per Grinvik, friend of mine, you know, you guys know him, he, um, you know, I was talking to him about that, and he's like, yeah, but, you know, you can't just sit down and be like, okay, now I'm going to make a timeless record, or, like, how it sounds, you know yeah. what I mean? And he's like, we don't really get to decide that. Like, we've bought, you know, he owned a record shop, he bought records, he sold records, I did, I, you know, did the same, and there's a lot of records I have that are worthless. And then some, I didn't realize that they would be so powerful and meaningful to this day. Stand the test of time. Yeah, exactly. So the whole timeless thing, it's, uh, you don't get to choose. It's true. Yeah. Maybe I need to clarify. I mean, maybe if people would, uh, go into the studio and make music, uh, the music they feel like making, not the music that uh, they feel that the uh, that they sh- audience yeah. are expecting or exactly. that they should make. Exactly. I think that's at least the first step to maybe, uh, ab- then be able to make something that's yeah, when be- you make music on demand that that's when it comes out that's when it it's dated as soon as you make it like if you're putting in all the latest okay let's look at the the minimal boom when what's his name dubfire put the the white noise splash on the thing which okay fair enough he was if not the first but one of the first to do it everybody was copying for the next three years just non-stop white noise splashes the whole time and uh, all that like clickety clackety minimal stuff that people were churning out for for years and that it just doesn't when you when you're when you're copying what's going on it doesn't stand the test of time yeah not oh man i i listened to some of those records somewhat recently and fuck they sound really outdated i mean 2005 to 
in the uh, summer of 2006, there are some classics like Legendary Records. That was kind of a golden era, era for dance music, in my opinion. But a lot of the stuff surrounding those hits, it's just like face palm bad. Like it's, it's <laughs> cringeworthy to listen to. I mean, you've still got that this day. I mean, you've got all these. Sure. When I mean, you get like big tracks, when you get a big track and you get this rush, like in the next like two months after it, Beatport is just flooded with all these copycat tracks and it kind of continues on until the next massive track and then everybody else is copying that as well um yeah i'm kind of glad i'm out of the loop most of the time because i don't i don't buy records i don't dj i don't check beatport i don't i'm missing out uh, i mean uh, unless it's the 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 people like playing before and after me at at clubs it's rare Mm. it's quite rare that i would actually hear uh dance music i don't listen to techno at home i don't i don't put podcasts on and dj mixes and i don't like listening to techno music while traveling either so it's um i'm quite ignorant making music in a bubble is good i think i yeah I sometimes hope. i think i made some of my it is favorite to an music extent. it is to an extent yeah that's i mean that's what i felt as well like look, oh, i'm onto something and then people yeah. are like god that's no it's too much <laughs> mm-hmm. it's too melodic too trancy too something you know it's you know like for me i felt when i um I mean, actually, Aaron and I are on a similar timeline. We both started coming here for regular um, trips and periods for quite a while, and then it finally just we officially put our names on the door. Mm. And, you know, that that period started for me about six years ago or something. Yeah. And um, moving here, it I mean, I think as a DJ, it opened up my eyes a lot because I was – out every weekend, all weekend, and hearing a lot of crazy DJs play crazy records. But as a producer, I think it almost kind of gave me a little bit of tunnel vision because you get so locked into what's going in on in Berlin that, yeah, or you're influenced by it, so to speak. So I mean, there, there's a you got to find the balance with it. Like it's good to be relevant, I think, or at least know, have an idea of what people are into. Not that mm-hmm. you have to subscribe to it or not. But then it's also good to not get too deep into it because then you... You overthink things. Yeah, and you don't even realize it. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. No, I mean, I did go out for a while that I... We, yeah, all, yeah. we all partake. <laughs> we had some pretty wild nights. Yeah, yeah. We no, and, and that's it's it's fun. I mean, that's that's what I mean. I would come home and I, I've made everything uh, from ambient tracks to... I know you do as well. But for me, being rare, going over 128, like I, I came, I, I came back from nights at Baghine, and and I felt like doing something 134, 136, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, it's a liberating feeling. Just uh, to, to break the mold. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how other people do if they have like a a, t- a template set in Ableton Live where they have 123 BPM with their usual plug-in, and they just start writing music as in you know the same thing over and over again. Somehow? You just described my process right there. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to make a template. Maybe you can show me. I'll show you. It's <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, well, everybody's different. I'm sure there's people that have something so formulaic that it's uh, laughable, and then there's people who start with literally nothing. Mm. Um, I personally don't start with anything, but that's because I kind of have a theme in mind every time I kind of sit down with a track. So I, you, you, you kind of plan it out from the start? Or you know where it's going to go? I know exactly what I want to make. Like if I have an idea cool. for a melody in my head, I'm like, well, I know I'm going to have to 
turn on this synthesizer or put this VST in, or if I'm like, I'm going to make a banging fucking drum track from the 90s, mm. I know that I'm just going to start Machina and load up a couple of drums and add some delay and reverb and filter and call it a day. Like, uh, you know, but I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that just like, let's randomly push buttons until I get something cool. Well, that's, that's, that kind of describes how I do it. Same I mean, I, but I, I just sit there's there and, no wrong way, you know? Yeah. But I can't, I just sometimes where like maybe I'm, I'm on like a, a YouTube session listening to some like mid nineties techno or something. I get this like, Oh cool. And I just immediately load up Ableton and I start kind of messing around and I make something in that vibe. But otherwise I'm just starting blank. And sometimes you, you nail it from the start, whatever it is, it could be anything from, you know, techno house ambient. And, and as you're making it, it can even morph into something completely different. Like you can start off like a really tough oh. techno track and then it becomes like an ultra smooth deep house track. It's weird just with just changing a couple of drum sounds or something. It's totally, just, mm. it goes, yeah, there's, I have no way of telling where anything is going to go, going to go. And I wish I could, I wish I could get paid for all the noodles I do because <laughs> I've got literally like, like probably like a thousand, 3000, maybe tr- like sketches on my, on my hard drive over the last few years, which, went most of them nowhere but that's the you know that's the uh that's the kind of like the electronic producer way of jamming out you know it's not like robert plant just sat down and be like okay let's do it in this take and it's done or like any legendary drummer or guitar player or something like they jam out for hours on end the reason that it would take like i was saying earlier three four years to record an album is because they don't just you know it takes a lot of screwing around to find that right riff you know, so they also have countless hours and, and shit tracks that just get shelved. And yeah, you I know? think just uh, before it was a difference when you had to record immediately. You would have a, a, a like a bunch of hardware and a and a and a mixer, and unless you finish the track right there and then, uh, the whole idea and the vibe of it is gone unless you actually record it. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. was the f- case for me at least, and probably that's what made me actually finish tracks back then. Now the the convenient way of a laptop where you can start these noodle sketches and, yeah. <laughs> and you can keep them. You can come back to it a few years later and hey, it's, it's still cool. that noodle I made. Well, yeah. And then maybe I'll do something and you'll keep and it, nothing. but you just you never keep, finish them. Yeah. You keep tipping along with it. And so I'm just, yeah, it was just, uh, well, recently with the passing of Prince, it's been a lot of documentaries floating as well. Just, you know, to him among other, like in their early ages, I think in his case, he was 17 years old, 19 years old. Doesn't matter the age. But just like it, you go into a studio, and he just lay down a track per day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could, we could actually do that. I f- I think technically if, we could. Technically, they we might could. not always be great. No, I'm not comparing actually, with they Prince. Won't, they won't. They'll be <laughs> but terrible. But just yeah. as an, I mean, I I was curious and maybe uh, taking a week and just uh, or a month even saying like I'm just gonna finish a track every day. I'm never gonna go back to it. Yeah. I'll just start the noodling. And force myself to finish, finish track, render it out, bounce yeah. it out, and then and that's it. move on to something else. Yeah, well, but that you know, it's like going to the gym. You know that kind of analogy. What is that? What is that? The gym. A it's gym? this place with um, fit people. I don't know. Never but anyway, um, you know, it's once you kind of at least the brain is working, it's easier when you when you have that flow. You kind of start getting things clicking. I mean, making music or playing music is just the same as practicing for any sport or exam or whatever. Like you have to do it daily. Yeah. It's true. And it's absolutely true. You know, I I give a piece of advice to a lot of um, new producers, which I never ever follow myself, <laughs> but they should listen to me anyway. And I'm like, you know what you should do is 
try and make a track a week or at least a sketch. So at the end of the year, you got 52 sketches. Let's say you take a couple weeks for vacation or you screw off. So let's say you got 50 sketches at the end of the year of tracks. If you can't get one three-track EP out of it, that's pretty awesome. Then maybe it's a sign. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm going to take that home with me, Dustin. And not use it? Thank you. (laughs) No, I'll but we it. love dispensing advice. That I was pushing follow. it to a track a day, so I think I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll listen to you and then you know come back to the Prince method maybe another time. Right on. Yo. I see empty drinks. Should we break to refill? We I, shall. We shall. All right, let's I do need that. To work. Yeah, Allah. <sighs> yeah, wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, cheers. Thanks for making the drinks, Brent. Cheers. Oh, You're Brent. welcome. You're a legend. I make good old fashions. Oh. The best. The best, Jerry, the best. It is damn good. Oh. <laughs> so let's change it up. Yo. What kind of music are you guys listening to lately? Anything good? <laughs> um, I like everything. Mm. Mm. Wow. I've been listening to the same five, ten albums for the last ten years. Actually, I, I can think. tell you yeah, right now. Yeah, Aurel's still obsessed yeah. with Violator. <laughs> no, everything before Violator and Violator, of course. But ev- everything after, no. But Radiohead took over that. And then, you know, Nils From and ambient music in general. I've been but listening. I found on one of my like YouTube listening sessions, I found this band called Asylum Party who were in the 80s from France. And they were making synth wave and cold wave kind of stuff. And it's really, really well produced and really epic and I've been listening to that a lot. Actually, John record. Mouse, which I discovered quite late. It was still two, three years ago. But he's been around. I don't know the whole these constellations. But I think that was the last time I couldn't really finish my meal. Because at the restaurant, they were playing John Mouse. Which I didn't know. I was like, is this something old? John Mouse? John Mouse, exactly. How do you spell his second name? M-A-U-S. Okay. He's part of uh, Grizzly Bear. Or okay. some, you know, those kind of Brooklyn, New York, uh, mm-hmm. indie something. And it's, yeah, same, like New Wave, Epic. Uh, sounds like it was made in the 80s and in a shitty studio with shitty synths. And yeah. I I love that sound. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about it. You know, the, it's springtime. Well, it was springtime. It's freezing balls now. <laughs> it's come back to winter. Yeah, it's come back winter with, with vengeance. With a bright light. That's I hear it. winter, I hear vengeance. <laughs> yeah, that's some RL references <laughs> for the three people that uh, are listening to the podcast. Um, you mean us? Yeah. Us three people? Yeah. But, uh, you know, anyway, so what I was getting at is, eh, as one does, you open the windows, let the air in the place and stuff like that in the springtime. Or the hail. Or the hail, yeah. Today. It's been hailing yeah. like crazy. Yeah. Uh, but there's a guy in the building next to me who, uh, <laughs> he's one of those guys that will take a band like, let's say, Depeche Mode or Metallica, and you're like, okay, great, he's got a cool band, and then he plays the worst shit from him. Like, uh, you know, one day I had the patio door here open, and he's blasting Metallica, and I come out of my bedroom, but it's not like, you know, Master of Puppets, Master of Puppets or anything. It's like that fucking The Memory Remains oh, kind of song, like all no. the newer Metallica, oh, and you just like, God. whiskey in oh, the Jaro. You know, and I then. I was coming over. <laughs> Yeah, talking carry mountains. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you sound like that preacher in a prince in New York. <laughs> 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 
Nobody knows either. Eddie Murphy, <laughs> yeah, Arsenio. No, but I'm just—I was gonna do a preacher impression, and then I realized this is recording. I can never live it down. Do it, do but it. one of those things that I really wish I could do is like the the preacher impression. Like, Which know? one? Uh, well, any preacher one. We're like. And I said, uh, Arsenio Hall, man, yeah. Prince of New York. But that's... can you do a good Yankee accent? Because I love it when anybody <laughs> with an English accent does a Yankee accent. I don't have an English accent. Oh, or Irish, just... sorry. Oh, shit. Actually, I don't really have an Irish accent anymore. I've got some kind of like weird. No, it's still. What's a Yankee accent? You mean like an American accent? Or... Yeah. Isn't that what you call it? Like, um, fucking like this kind of, Like fucking Yanks? <laughs> like fucking hell, bro. <laughs> yeah, getting there. The getting thing is, there? is like. Yeah. Aro, for example, which is, you know, we're going to go into questions from people later, but nobody knows what the hell Aro is or where he's from. <laughs> he sounds relatively American. I mean, mm. there's a little bit of a European. We can describe him. Airiness. He's small, hairy, dark and hairy. He always uh, wears a blue shirt. Angry. That's me. He's so yeah, angry. pretty stained uh, now. I did some cooking before. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. So what are you? I You're am. Jewish, right? I no. used, <laughs> I moved to Berlin and converted to Judaism as everybody. For some reason, all my life, I've not for some reason, I am born in Iran. And I've always been a sad Negro or whatever Arab people would call me. I'm still a Syrian, which for those who have internets can look it up. Civilization founded 6,000 6, years ago. Uh, moving to Berlin, f you know, three, four, five years ago, for some reason with my name, it was obvious that I was from Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or New York. <laughs> so, no, I'm I'm from Iran and I grew up in Sweden. You're you're basically Swedish. I, I mean, am not Swedish. Well, but I mean like... I have the, a Swedish passport. That's as far as I would go. You, you like have meatball. a lot of Swedish It's a political taste, sensitive time right now and I would never, ever see myself as Swedish. <clears throat> All right, he's not Swedish. He just I'm says angry Swedish. Swedish no, taste. no, no. As he munches on his dime bars. Dime, I th yeah, uh, I thought it was Swedish. Well, let's have an education lesson for a minute, uh, mm. but not too long because people get bored. What's going on in Sweden? That sucks. It happens everywhere right now anyway, but uh, uh, I'm. It's, it's kind of a part of the whole reason why I came here. It wasn't because of that. It wasn't one day I packed my stuff and I moved to Berlin. Uh, I still have my flat even there uh, in, in Stockholm and obviously my family, my mom and dad. But, uh, you know, uh, things changed and changed pretty rapidly, like the rest of Europe with the right-wing movement where the common sense of people feeling that it's okay to have, I'm not a racist, but kind of sure. attitude and, and opinion. So slowly I just felt like, I, I, you know, I don't really belong here. I spent 30 plus years of my life in that country. I speak better Swedish than most of my Swedish friends. And uh, it doesn't matter how assimilated you would become. It's still based on your looks and your name. And uh, yeah, I don't buy that. In that sense, even though America is a very still probably uh, in, in a I sense. I think it's the same way, man. It is. But uh, or say England that will also have problems with racism these days as well. But I, I, I want to believe that uh, at least back in the days earlier, it really didn't matter what you, what you look like, as long as you do your job, as long as you speak fairly enough good English. In Sweden, you just have to speak with the perfect Swedish accent. Otherwise, you know, and even I perfected my, my, my I speak fluent, perfect Swedish. Uh, yet, you know, walking down the street, you could just feel um, from the last election four years ago, almost now, where the Swedish Democrats uh, won, not won, 
but gained a lot of support, which is a, a former neo-Nazi party, basically. And now they... That's what I heard. They yeah. dress in suits. And uh, I mean, this is all over Europe now. Austria just had an election where their version of the Swedish Democrats basically won the election. Like the prime minister, the president there would be a former Nazi. It's kind of scary. It seems Austria. to be happening in a lot of yeah. European countries at yeah. the moment. But uh, oh, and America, I mean, you got <laughs> Trump and all that. Trump. But you know, I mean, that, that that's a that's a thing though. Like when it comes down to it, you know, I I started going to raves in '98. I was like 14 or 15, right? So rave culture, especially in the states, was like everybody's welcome. Doesn't care if you're gay, straight, black, white, yellow. Doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. I just, even though I grew up in a small town in northern Michigan, which had. Um, three black kids i think so like it was i wouldn't say that it was racist but it was not very cultured let's put it that way Mm -hmm. um but i still every weekend was going to these places where everybody was accepted so i kind of grew and then i eventually moved to minneapolis which was a very heavily gay friendly city with a lot of minorities i always accepted this idea that you know we've progressed and everything's cool but then i in the last year or two that's kind of I'm not seeing that so much anymore, especially with in the last few weeks you have this thing with uh, transgendered bathrooms or yeah. something. And, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of funny because here in Berlin, <laughs> like if we go out on the weekends, everybody has the same bathrooms anyway. Yeah. You know, nobody cares. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. But then, you know, you hear these mothers that are like, I don't want, you know, me and my kids using the bathroom. If some guy comes in, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in these bathrooms, man? That's like, there's stalls. That you, exactly. It's not like the guy's going to come into the cubicle with you. Yeah, like, if you, what are you, are you washing your face? Is that such a thing? Or do you yeah. get completely naked while you're in there? Like, wh- why is this a big deal? I don't, Well, if, that, if it was a woman, she should be happy. In this case, she can actually enter the, well, we all know in clubs how if there is a male and female uh, section, that there will be girls standing in line for the for the men's bathroom because that moves much quicker than the female. Oh, yeah. So. Man, I watched a girl piss in the sink on Sunday night, hey, and I'll tell you serious? what, there was nothing sexual about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I Oh, my God. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it just reminded me of another story. I think it was a friend of yours. Uh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't get into that. Oh, that was, oh yes, yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. I well, know. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, he doesn't care, but I mean... <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, just there's so many. We talk about that place so much on the show. We'll just move forward. But yes. you know, that's the only reason I think yes. about it. But yeah, sorry, I got off off tra- track. Off track. Off yeah. Track. Every time we talk about bodily fluids with you, it- no, no, no. It was more the Swedish part of it. Yeah, but you're right. That bodily f- fluids came from you. I didn't bring that up. That's true. Fuck. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, awkward. Moving swiftly. Should along. we take some questions here? Go. Cool. Go for it. I know that it was kind of, uh, we kind of decided to do it this afternoon. I said, can you guys come by next week to do it? Yeah. And you guys are both moving soon, so yeah. Yeah, it turned into right now. I'm moving to Switzerland because it's basically Sweden, but different. Yeah, I'm moving but, too. Ah, actually, the same price. I got one on mine that's actually geared for both of you guys. Yep. Um, where is the line between progressive house and melodic techno? There are a few different artists I have in mind, but Denmouse in particular was well-known for his prog house and more recently has produced some melodic tunes that might be considered techno. So what makes the difference? Well, 
I think Dead Mouse is actually I can't really comment on Dead Mouse because I don't think I've ever listened to one of his tracks. Same, same. Really, honestly, um, I think he's kind of outside of our sphere of what we do, but maybe maybe some of it intersects. I'm not sure. Um, what what is the difference between melodic techno and progressive house? I would say for me, when I <clears throat> when I listen to the odd occasion where I'm at a gig and someone is playing progressive house, like it, thankfully it happens very rarely these days. But when I started out, I I kind of got booked a lot in these like far funk places with with people playing like banging pro- progressive house before me, um, which really kind of yeah, it was it was odd. Uh, there's how do I describe it? There's something uh, there's something very formulaic about the the progressive house that I heard there. Uh, it's very it's, it's very lethargic, well I it, think lethargic, very well produced, like overproduced, like oh yeah. just to it. There's no there's no roughness, there's no rawness. Everything has to be kind of perfect and um, zero groove, zero groove, and very everything is calculated. You know, they, they got these breakdowns and every single little effect and everything that that's in there is like super super calculated and yeah it's really difficult to to explain it but for me it's night and day but i can understand how someone like a hard techno dj maybe could look at myself and arl's music and say oh you guys play that goddamn prog or something i don't know yeah but um for us there's there's a there's a clear line between between what we do and what prog djs do well i i think what uh like for example let's say just say what you guys do um, or even um, some people sometimes might put you in some similar categories with Tale of Us or Inner Visions or like this kind of melodic sound. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that, I don't call it Deep House and I don't call it Progressive House. First of all, with Progressive House, um, I'm actually playing a handful of like really quality old Progressive House records right now, but in general, Progressive House never really did it for me simply because it just didn't have the energy or the groove it was just kind of plodding along yeah but i realized that progressive house was fucking huge in america i don't know about europe but it was massive yeah i mean and uh you know and then but what, with what you guys do it's there's more going on there's more melody and more structure maybe some more drums it's not just this uh this well we definitely border on what, what am I going to say? I mean, we definitely go like harder than than a progressive house DJ would go. Like we we we've come from. I think we grew up with techno, mm. so we've got like a techno sensibility. Even though sometimes our music might have these like plinky plonky, slightly trancey yep. or very trancey melodies, but but there's still. I don't know. How do you how do you like rain back from it? Ariel? I don't know. I mean, I've I've gone through the whole description of Detroit techno and then uh, to to. Uh, Tech house back mm. in you know end of nineties early two thousand which meant one thing back then and now it's different and then uh, in my case when I went ventured into this more melodic sound was in two thousand seven with the Peace Frog album and 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 Winter for me it was just a, a an experiment of how how many melodies from in my own uh, in my own taste like how how far can I push this before it gets too cheesy, you know, and that's strictly personal, of course. And yeah. of course I would never expect a label like Compact to get back to me and say, oh, we want this track Winter as a A-side. What? For, yeah. Yeah, which back then was a kind of a minimal label. But making that track, I never assumed, again, anybody would be into it. It wasn't like a set down, like, let's see how many melodies I can fit into this. But it's just a natural way for me to... 
to make music based on the music I grew up with, which which is 80s pop music. And then in the 90s, I uh, discovered techno. Mm-hmm. And then somehow 10 years, 15 years after that, it was it's just kind of, you know, I don't want to make the same track after 10 years. This is a 10-year yeah. gap between, in my case, Groove Lacord and, and Winter, and people would expect you, you know, to make the same the same music. But again, like I back in 2007, 2008, I don't know if there was a, a prog scene so to speak, I discovered it when I got booked in Holland. Let's say, really, a lot. Yeah, well, well no, I don't know. Well, <laughs> Prague, Prague was done by that point, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, ah, see, Sasha Diggers, for example, they were already doing like the minimal thing and playing Audion and stuff. Yeah, like that. I mean, Sasha yeah. played at Panorama Bar, for example. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, but, but in Holland, I felt it was a lot of. I, well, I don't when know. When were any... you playing? That was that in the, the mid two thousands or something? No, like no? T- after two thousand. I was I was barely playing Holland until two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. It was thanks to the. Oh, I never really had the Prague thing in in Holland. Not Prague, but, but at least that kind of. Um, melodic yeah again bordering you know but i've always had trouble um i've always had trouble sometimes or not always but um presenting myself in a club because i come from like i grew up or i got into dance music through techno i I went to see dave clark playing in a red box in the year 2000 in dublin and he absolutely blew my mind it was like my first time hearing proper electronic music and i was like wow this is amazing i got like really heavily into like the, all that kind of dave clark style techno and electro as well at the same time and then when i started making music for some reason i started making all this melodic stuff and i was playing melodic stuff but i was also playing like real hard loopy stuff as well and it was always it was really especially difficult in the first years when i started like playing gigs where i where i was getting booked based on umbrella say and I, I was going there playing what I always play when I when I played in Ireland, which was anything from that kind of like melodic techno to house to like banging mills and Starak and this kind of stuff. And just noticing every time I would I would get like a little harder and start playing all my kind of favorite stuff that people would be really like, Ooh, what the hell what's this? You know, it's always been very difficult for me to 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 kind of uh, rein that in to show that actually there's, there's I like a, and play love to play a lot more music than just what I make. You know, I, I get kind of like pigeonholed into a box based on on the music that I make, and I'd love to kind of break out of that a bit more. That's at the times. classic DJ thing. <laughs> so, but um, what is the difference then? Yeah, I don't know how to. Uh, you want to open your phone again for me? <laughs> um, you know, because when we got on this topic, there's another question. That question came from Connor, by the way. Oh. But to add on to that, uh, Brendan sent in a question. He said, "Trends and dance music." production and culture um they seem to go come and go quicker and quicker these days was there any of these that made you laugh and would you dare predict any future ones that you've noticed and i think we're kind of getting at that point at least like the trends that didn't really take for us you know i think we've prog house minimal to some extent but dubstep yeah well i I loved the when it was actual dubstep yeah actually um just when Aro came in, I was playing a Mala track uh, for YouTube. And um, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, that stuff was cool. But then when it kind of got bastardized and went full on bro step or whatever they want to call it. Uh, but I mean, around like when, when it started getting big, maybe around like 2008, 2009 or something. And everyone was playing all the techno DJs and house DJs. And even hey, even I dabbled a little bit. There was a couple of tracks I liked from Martin and this kind of stuff. 
And, sure, and then, yeah, that was great stuff. Yeah, uh, but then like a year later, boom. I mean, everyone, all all the dubstep DJs became techno DJs or house DJs, yeah. and and I, I mean, dubstep lives on and stuff. But but it it had this like yeah. it had this huge crossover moment for for a bit, and then it became then it went like super mainstream with Skrillex, and then everyone else just you know dumped it kind of yeah. I think. In America, we had this thing. I don't know if it was big here or not, but it was called Bidget House, or uh, yeah. I don't know what the other term was for it. But Vig- it was kind of like this bastardized version Vig- of Electro House, which I couldn't get behind right away. Mm-hmm. The first, like every genre, the first couple records are kind of cool and interesting, and then of course it gets blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. But this Bidget House was like this really just obnoxious. Um, you know, take the worst parts of like the Beatport minimal trend and add like, add, but change it with like Electro House sounds, and that's kind of what you're getting. Uh, I think it was like maybe Crookers and old Diplo stuff and all these kind of things. Like, mm-hmm. I want to say 2008 or nine. Switch, Switch to some extent, but I mean, it, he like he was a guy that could almost do that kind of thing tastefully, and then all of his wasn't that speaking his, of it. it at banger like the french kind of not this electro house is that was that? more electro house yeah, yeah. yeah but i mean i think all those things kind of influence this shit yeah, like yeah. switch for example like switch is an amazing producer but um it's all good um but you know the people that he inspired uh they just made like the worst music ever and i had to hear this in the states quite a bit when i went out and i i just i couldn't get it well that's it that every like like we were saying earlier every Every once in a while, there's these visionaries who make like amazing tracks, like within their own field, and then everybody else just carbon copies them poorly, like yeah. for for the next like year or so. I think the only time I've kind of ventured out <clears throat> from techno, if I would just call everything techno or house, is uh, back in the '90s because I went to uh, a lot of rave parties, and back then in Sweden, it was breakbeat, like before um, drum and bass came in. So it was these. Mm. People would play everything. It was the Source, Robert Liner, you know, and uh, classic stuff. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but everything would be played on, at the same party. But slowly, then after a couple of years, I discovered drum and bass with uh, good-looking and looking good records. That kind of ambient drum and bass stuff. LTJ don't book them exactly. Oh. <laughs> or Seba, who is yeah. a Swedish uh, producer that LTG released books. on yeah. this. Yeah. But I loved that shit back yeah. then. I thought it was amazing. amazing. Like it was exactly the soundscape of Detroit techno or ambient that I liked, but with a different BPM and yeah. beat. And then uh, what was his face? The, uh, he made this album with these Kung Fu sounds and... Wu-Tang Clan. No, come on. Drum, drum and, and bass, bass drum and bass. Help me out. Do you know what it was on? He's still thing? around, apparently. He came, like, he did a comeback a couple of years ago. One of the big guys? Yeah. Goldie? No, not the, no, that no. kind of. Who? God damn it. I, I'm not, I'm not really too, uh... Anyway, once, like, it was the same thing. I, I, I liked it for a year or two. Like, really, I was into it. And then I just, it never evolved. And not that I would say it techno, tech, you know, technically evolved for me, but I would still find the the joy in this repetitive music and and drum and bass, similar to whatever dubstep or filter house or yeah. minimal or yeah. all this that came along, you know, every two three years. Uh, I, it never got my attention the same way. Apart from it, like not Italo disco, but which I listened to earlier on, but uh, I was I really liked the like the new disco sound that came in the. 2000s 2006 yeah. 7 I was all about it Pretty would you Thomas say like, that shit. was that like the last 
say major movement major like music movement that you were that you were kind of really into in recent years or yeah i mean f- f- for me at least in the, in the in the sense that it's something that sounds new after that everything was sounded like oh this you know when panorama bar started you know dj's there started pl- playing house house which for me was like well this sounds exactly like strictly rhythm stuff i heard Six in the 90s yeah. and then it turns out that people are making new tracks that sound like that sound which to me yeah. was odd like <laughs> you can buy that stuff why would you make it <laughs> but i'm not a dj so you know <laughs> and then came the 90s techno sound which was similar as well uh when that i heard get behind that one, you know uh, among the like years ago at backhind when he yeah. was still a, a berlin local maybe uh, unknown celebrity and i was like fucking finally somebody that plays Something 90s techno. proper shit yeah, yeah. and yeah. then obviously the last years it's it's, it's it's all '90s techno. Yeah, I was gonna say it's done, but it, no, <laughs> it's been done. <laughs> yeah, I can. Never I can't remember this drum and bass guy. God damn it! Think of it. Google it. Yeah, I'll go. I can. I mean, I can obviously get pretty damn dark if you've heard me play or heard my records, but I have to say that I have a threshold for that stuff. Um, you know, if it gets too dark for too long, then it gets kind of comical. It just loses. It's impact. I mean, it's all like this it's bludgeoning saying, stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it's and when it's just bludgeoning track after bludgeoning track after bludgeoning track, it it's doesn't. Silly. It doesn't. It, but it's different if you have these different contrasting things. Like if you play like a, a track with a normal kick drum, and then you play a track with like a massive kick drum, or if you play like a track with like these huge like crashing hi hats or something, you get so much more difference in There's the texture. Dynamic, and they yeah. might they might not they might only be like half as heavy as those big bludgeoning tracks that the other guys are playing. But it's just the contrast that makes the, the difference. I agree completely. And the other part of it is, is I can kind of, uh, you know, that that's kind of a popular thing right now, but I also see deeper music com- making a comeback. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've been, act- there's a lot of... You mean deeper techno or... Deeper techno, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, Rod Hot, I mean, he he does play banging sets but he gets pretty deep and out there too Making a lot of like ambient yeah uh, techno and kind of um thing. you know i've been buying a lot of uh minimal records again just for fun or which which minimal um well i mean even some of the obvious stuff like newer villa lobos things uh there's yeah. that porn sword tobacco and whatever double pack that just came out that uh everybody's beaten off over there's this uh like that dj soda fat stuff and on yeah. sex tags mania some of those where it's not quite minimal. Like a couple of years ago, they called this stuff outsider house or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I mean, I think like this deeper sound of music, people seem to really like it. When I play, like I'll play tomorrow night for three hours. Uh, you know, the first hour or whatever, I'll bang the hell out of it because that's what they want. But then I'll be able to like kind of lock it in and, yeah. you know, it'll it'll get in its groove. Yeah. Found it. Fotek. Oh Full yeah! Tech. Oh cool! Yeah. He made some great house yeah, tracks. Though, yeah, too. that's what I'm great saying. He, like he did it. Yeah, he made some great stuff. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. But he did. Um, he did. Was it maybe a DJ Kicks mix or something? He did something a few years back that was very soundtracky. I don't know if it was a couple tracks. Back to mine was it or something? Maybe, but there was something on there that I really liked, and I thought that didn't you have like one from your Connoisseur album, like? I don't know. Maybe it's just alcohol, but mm-hmm. I could have swore like you we were both on the same mix CD or some shit. It was like 
more chilled out stuff. Or maybe it was a podcast I was listening to. Mm, I don't know. Is it DJ Kicks from 2012, it says? Yeah. That sounds about it. Yeah. Sounds about right. I don't but, think uh, that's on that Modus though. Operandi was the one I was referring to. That album is uh, mm, yeah. pretty, pretty dope. All right, let's get nerdy for a minute. You yep. guys are currently working on music together. I don't know for what, or we don't even have to go into that if you don't even know yet. But... um. Tell us a little bit about what it's like musically or how you're kind of making it happen. Well, we, we've been talking about it for probably since ever since we met, actually, you know, yeah. five years ago. But uh, yeah, never actually followed through until last summer. And uh, he came over to the house and we just we, we, we first we had to decide how we were going to do it because we both attempted collaborating before with other people yeah. and it never really worked. And then we said, okay, we both, you know, because we make music obviously using hardware, but but running into a computer. And, you know, when there's one guy on the computer and the other guy's trying to do something, it's it's kind of difficult. So we, we sorry. Well, no, no. But back then I, I was still pretty much software anyway. But yeah, still. you were, yeah, you were software. I was hardware. But yeah, it's a computer. When, when there's, when there's, yeah, two people trying to use one computer, it, it doesn't really work all that well. Mm. So we came up with the plan. Let's do it like what we do when we play live let's just sync up our both our laptops which is the reason why we started making music we just ended yeah. up doing a live set uh not by coincidence but uh it was a last minute just whatever very last for, minute for, yeah. for fun and it, and it turned out really well yeah that was about what two three years ago was that at prince ago. charles or? exactly yeah, I remember. It's like a daytime, yeah it was a prince charles evening. yeah it was in the evening and it actually turned out like really good we, we didn't no even rehearsal practice. no <laughs> rehearsal we showed up actually this. every time we play live the only problem that we ever have is getting our computers to sync is that yeah. you can go to sound check <laughs> I remember that well from when I did a duo. Yeah, yeah. but you would think like I've you know I've used hardware in the '90s. Media worked great, Dean yeah. Sync and everything. Yeah, it, you know you'd have problems at the time, but you would think 2016. They 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 should have like, figured this out by now. But yeah. no, like you do the sound check, and even you leave your gear, you get everything synced perfectly. You leave your gear there. You don't touch the thing. You come back, you know, two hours later, press play. And everything's so I'm there every gig we have. I've got like my headphones on, trying to like drown out everything. I've got metronomes going in, in one metronome coming out in one ear and the other and the other, and like shit, trying to get everything like synced up. Yeah, once we once we get our sync issue sorted, like everything kind of tends to work. What are we going to do like we did the last times we made music? Is just make music on? I mean, play live on one laptop. That's what we did the last two times. So we've been. I think we sat down like on three three or four sessions. The first ones were where we synced up computers and we did shit and we made like five sketches of tracks two yeah. of which turned out into really good tracks we yeah. think but then the and problem is half i mean my parts are on my computer and yeah his parts so are on his computer consolidate everything together and then the last two sessions that we did um we i sat on the computer but i've got i had all my hardware there so you were just kind of like playing because yeah. he's this guy here is jazz hands right here <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got these jazz. epic chord fingers like he just well, I've, you know, I always have keyboards here at the house when I just, I got to have something around, just like a guitarist has got to have a guitar or whatever. And Aro will come over and he'll just start, sit down and play. And I'm like, I didn't even know that keyboard could do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's every time I was like, holy shit, dude. Uh, yeah, we need, you know what? We uh, need to get you in the studio more often. You're like, you're this vast untapped resource. And when you're not off like drinking coffee or mm. having ramen, or basically hanging with me. Yeah. <laughs> then we, we need to get you. We need to like chain you to a keyboard and, and just like. Well, the past the two days, uh, because of this shitty weather, I've been, I mean, I've been literally like on my, on my way 
on my bike to get over to Brent, like, because I know you said, like, I haven't done yeah. shit for the past month. Yeah. All right, let's just do let's something. Just do At it. least if we get together, we have no excuse. Oh, so we have to push each other. Uh, yeah, but now I'm moving house next month. And I'm uh, moving. Yeah, so, okay, what, when we get our shit out. Uh, I mean, obviously, things aren't finished, so maybe it's too early to say, but do you guys. Can you say how many roughly tracks or ideas you got? Sorry. Yeah, well, we got we so we got one track which is completely finished, which is coming out, which just went on promo. It's coming on Connoisseur in three weeks or two weeks or something. It's coming out on the, the ten year anniversary of Connoisseur, so we did one track for that, and we've got another two tracks. Is it ten years. Yeah, ten years cool. of, of Connoisseur, and we've got another two tracks which are completely finished and which we both like, and then we we've got maybe. Two others, which mm. we could potentially finish up, and, and an ambient. <laughs> and an, oh yeah, there was one, one day. <laughs> one day, nothing worked. One one day, of those. Oh, we were just sitting there for like hours, just miserable. It's like, oh my god, like nothing <laughs> is coming out here. And then we said, okay, fuck it, just take, just take out all the drums here and just start droning yeah. with with whatever. And it actually turned out really good oh. in the end. Finally, yeah, I, I I turned the attack up. I mean, or down. On the Juno. On the Juno from yeah. a stabby chord into a, like a, a pad. And we had a yeah, cool ambient track. Yeah. So basically we have we have the makings of an EP. Uh, we just have to uh, finish that up. And we're, we're trying to decide now what to do with it, whether to, mm. to give it to a label or to put it out ourselves. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're going to decide. I saw that as a good kind of excuse or reason to get uh, my label out. Yeah, of to kickstart. Yeah, kickstarted back again because exactly. it's been in uh, hibernation. It's yeah, been yeah, a long way winter came, <clears throat> and it never left. And uh, and yeah, we'll see. But it, yeah, it's yeah, roughly five six idea, tracks at this point, and I don't know how many other like one of those sketches and noodles we have. Yeah, mm. I'm guessing uh, some of the people who are listening, those who haven't fast forwarded mm. through the tech part, mm. kudos to you guys. Uh, is there a couple pieces of gear, new or old, that you're using in this stuff that you're kind of totally into right now that, you know, worth bringing up? Well, I I wouldn't say it's new, but I've been using the Vermona Mono Lancet for the last three or four years, and it's an absolute beast of a synth. I use it live as well. Uh, it's just a mono synth, but it's a two oscillator mono synth. <laughs> what it doesn't just do. All good. He's American. <laughs> he uses coasters. Oh, that's what happened. Hey now, hey now. Somebody's got earbuds and they're like, "Fuck, that was loud." <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a uh, wow. You can get some amazing bass sounds out of it. Some great leads uh, and some crazy noisy sounds out of it as well. It's so versatile. Everything is just on the front panel. Uh, you've got. Uh, just just the minimal amount of controls that you need to do what you need to do. I absolutely love the shit out of it. Mm. Um, I've been on basically VSTs since um, for 10 years or something. So for me last year, I mean, or a year and a half ago when the TR8 came, it was the first hardware I, I purchased. And I'm using that live now. It's just more fun to add some kind of live yeah. drum element. I could have done that with Machina, which I've had for three years, and I never, ever actually f- used but it's yeah, nice tr8 yeah, yeah. is like a real instrument though yeah it feels like a real i mean instrument. i'm not i have to say it like i have it as well and i'm when i when i try and put it into a track i end up kind of replacing the sounds with yeah, you know same. with like cool samples but actually playing the thing like yeah, an instrument is set. so much fun because yeah. you got everything there you got the decays you got the volumes <clears> all yeah. this stuff and yeah, it just yeah. 
Yeah, it, it works really well. I mean, hardware since otherwise for me, I, I got to say the Roland Boutique because I've again, I'm I've really happy with that stuff. Yeah, I've only yeah. been on VSTs and uh, similar to when I switched from hardware to VSTs back in 2005 and how my whole sound kind of changed because of mm. the VSTs I was using. It was totally uh, an access to totally different sounds. When I got those Roland Boutique, the Jupiter 8 and the Juno, uh, and I never li- really liked the Juno 106 to begin with. As in, like, I never bought it because I, mm-hmm. it was fine. I'd say everyone had it. But once I, yeah, no, I, I never had, like, a Roland fetish. I mean, it's one of the most common ones, no? That's, yeah, really? a friend of mine had I it. I mean, I have it. I love it. I but, had access to yeah. it all the time, but I never, yeah, never really used it. And it's so weird. I get this little baby version of it, and all yeah. of a sudden, I'm just making, uh, not tracks, but loop after loop that is totally you know rob hood jeff mills kind of you know stabby chords uh it's so weird how one piece of gear can take you know uh, can give so much inspiration yeah not only inspiration but take your sound to another place rather than you know i'm using it to make a real brick of music whatever that would be the the synth makes me that's right yeah you because you change yeah, each synth has its own sound. Yep. So sometimes you can fit them into multiple tracks, but sometimes you just start working on one track and it's just like, this is raw acid or this is yep. like super melodic fucking shit, whatever. Yep. I find it funny that to this day, every single piece of gear that comes out, whenever somebody posts a review in a magazine or on a website or else they do an Instagram video, <clears throat> they're trying to see if they can get it to sound like a 303. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's a $200 piece of gear yeah. or a $2,000 keyboard. Yeah. They're like, eh, eh, you know, and it's like, you know, this Resonance acid touch. And I'm like, my first experience hell, of that man. was the base station, Roland base station. This guy tried oh, to yeah. sell it to me, promising me it sounds like a Roland 303. <laughs> I ended up a year later actually buying a 303 and a bunch of other gear, 808 and System 100. And still to this day, I never used my 303 in a track. But I love the... I love you it. have it here now, don't you? Yeah, I have it in Berlin. Uh, have you used it in these tracks? Of course not. No. Oh. I, I still have to get it to sync. My Kenton sync. sync, sync yeah. oh, okay. But that's not the problem. I, I used like an acid line. I did a remix uh, of, I did a joint release with my Israeli friends. Um, Deepa and Biri. Deepa and Biri, exactly, on their Black Crow label. And I ended up doing like an acid line with the, what's the, what's the plugin called? The uh, Audio Realism? No. D sixteen Tal 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 the baseline one one the baseline yeah it was just you know and it, the Tal line is really good uh, it, I think it, it my worked, favorite VST but it's the first time I used like an, a three hundred three an acid I have, I've had the three hundred three since nineteen ninety four yeah I have never ever used it in a single <laughs> track but I love the piece of gear it's so nostalgic for me and I yeah. just it's, it's but yeah I, I get the you know I love like, the size of it I love portable synths. I actually yeah. just love tiny little synthesizers. Yes, sir. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We could ask each other questions, yeah. How long are you planning to stay in Berlin, Dustin? I'm, you know, I'm worrying sometimes, like, maybe you will leave us here. All it alone. changes on the daily. I feel that, like, you know. Don't leave us. Uh, real talk, I mean, here's the thing about Berlin. You know, a lot of people come here. It's, you know, the, it's like music's kind of answer to... Hollywood, more more in the electronic sense than, let's say, hip-hop or something. Um, but I think people generally have this shelf life of three to four years here mm. before they kind of either things don't work out or things really work out and then they got the money to go somewhere better sort of thing. 
<laughs> and um, but nobody really seems to stick around. There are some that do, and they're just like, I'm settling down. We have friends that are like this that are yeah. like, I'm never leaving. And I got nothing against that. I can't see myself being that guy. I don't want to stay here forever. But I'm here for now. You know, I, I don't think that there's other places I'd like to go, but they're unaffordable or it's not worth the effort and the like money. Where? You know, honestly, all the obvious spots like New York or, or uh, some of the European capitals. Isn't uh, it kind of difficult? Like, I mean, because maybe you can tell us more because I know that you still divide a bit of time between here and the States. But but how is it? How would it be if you were to live back in the states? Do you think you could sustain the the gigs that you have there or not? Yeah, I mean, I I can, but it's not enjoyable. Like for example, you got Zach Devious One or David Truncate. All these guys, they're traveling every week or two. Man, you're just killing those candy bars, aren't you? I'm from Sweden, apparently. Yeah, no, is they're that good. A that's why I, that's why I don't touch them because they're just I too addictive. I bought dime at IKEA here in Berlin. I'm eating the whole bag. So. <laughs> yeah, they're great. But uh, anyway, um, I could travel from the states every weekend or every couple of weeks. But I mean, uh, is there it, enough of is there enough of a gig scene in the states to support you? No, no. I mean, uh, well, to be honest, it's interesting because a lot of my fans. It's cool. I can kill your mic. A lot of my fans can um, are are they come from the states or like I sell a lot of music in the states or streaming stuff. If you look at SoundCloud or Beatport numbers and whatnot, but um, I don't sell any records in the states because it's the states. But digitally, yeah. Um, but the thing is, is I play there. I I do New York about four times a year. I have kind of a. I have a good relationship with uh, Output, Output and Panther cool. Room. But actually, the thing is there is I play house music. I'm rarely playing techno there anymore. Yeah. So I'm not even really doing what I do. So um, how often do you get to play house music? Well, I mean, always there. I do it in... Uh, honestly, I play it everywhere. But the thing is, is like in New York, it's if I play an eight-hour set, it's like probably six hours of house. Okay. Whereas like tomorrow night, I'm playing three hours... I'll probably play, well, it's Austria. They kind of like it banging there, so I'll probably play about 20 minutes of house. <laughs> but it's just I have to sprinkle it in. And, and yeah. some people won't get it, and the others, they'll notice that dynamic, and then they, they flip their shit. Yeah. But, um, you know, in July last year, I did, I think, like six gigs in the States. And then, actually, I'll go to North America and South America for July this year, do Buenos Aires, cool. Stereo Montreal, Output, Minneapolis, all these places. But... um. You know, I'll do three house gigs in that month, and then I think it's like five techno gigs. But, um, you know, really for the United States, let's say excluding New York and Minneapolis, I'll probably do three or four gigs a year. It's almost nothing. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's because there isn't a scene. Sometimes it just doesn't work out financially and logistically, but they're just, it, it's not sustainable. I have to say, I really enjoy, like, I've, I've, I'm just on the tail end of a three year visa for the States. So I've been out there every year in the last three years, obviously. And um, I, I never had that many gigs there. Like like you said, just maybe like two or three or something a year. But they've all been like really interesting. It's kind of it's kind of fun to play in places, especially where um, maybe it's maybe it's kind of new for for certain for certain cities or for certain scenes or it's just coming out at a very different angle from here i mean here in berlin we're spoiled because 
yeah. you know, the clubs that we have here and the people that, that go to the clubs and they know what to expect and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting when you go to, when you go to somewhere else that, that, that maybe hasn't had it for, for that long or has a very different scene and is, is just kind of coming into it now. It's interesting playing for those people and, and in the process, hopefully winning them over as well, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, but it's not that I don't want to play in the States. I would love to play in the States. I'd love to play, you know, I do, like last year, I think I did 70 gigs on the dot. I would love to do, you know, even half that in the States because when I was younger, I was all over the States and I was, I just wanted to go to Europe, just like all Europeans want to go to America. So I was just like, I don't care. I, I've been to Cincinnati. I've been wherever. It doesn't matter. But, I mean, I haven't been any of these places in 10 years. I mean, some of these obvious cities like L.A. or whatever, I would love to check some of that out. Like, I went to Atlanta recently. I haven't been to Atlanta in, since I was 18. I've never been there. Yeah, no, I mean, like, um, I had a good time. Like, I the I had a great meal and some drinks, and I went and played <laughs> the party. And, like, obviously it's not like this big European mega club sort of thing, but you could tell the people are, are grateful for it. And it's, like, it's still in the infancy stage, but... It's growing, and they appreciate that. I I wish I could do that more, but it's it's not you know possible. I mean, I find it much more fun than going down to some random little towns in 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 this country or 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 in Europe in in various oh, other places where you have just these really like weird clubs, and it's just oh, no, it just it's soul destroying. Sometimes. Soul destroying, absolutely yeah. soul destroying. Yeah. I mean, on yeah, yeah. You know, I I mean I. There's a thing like if you're an American and you kind of start playing in Europe, people automatically assume from the United States that every gig in Europe is amazing or like you've made it. And let's say you start playing regularly in Europe. It doesn't automatically – you're not just like playing immediately uh, Fabric, Bergheim, Awakenings, all the shit. Rarely – yeah, you know. Or even if you are, that's maybe once a month and then you have a lot of gigs in between. You know, I've played so many gigs up and down Germany in small clubs and whatever that were terrible. Some that were amazing. Yeah. But it's like I've, you know, this. there's so many bad gigs to play. And I, I was I was talking about that with another big DJ one time. They're like, yeah, that's not everybody. That's most people. He's like, I played all those shit gigs for so many years where it's like you go out and there's like 75 farmers that are just screaming <laughs> harder, 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 you know. And yeah. um, But then the next night you could be in Italy and it's 1200 people and they're going crazy and you just ate this insane fucking meal. And then it, yeah. you know, it makes yeah, it sense, makes but, uh, it, it gets me down. You know, I, I don't know why, but like bad gigs always tend to come in threes for some reason. <laughs> really? I like, never looked at it that way. <laughs> no, Mine come in longer stretches where it's like eight or nine gigs. And I'm like, I think, yeah, I think I'm done. This could be it. This yeah. is it. Yeah. I need, I need a new life, new career. Yeah. yeah. I made the wrong decisions. Yeah. Where, where do you guys play the most? Um, I play in probably the uh, Netherlands most. Minus, yeah, minus changed. I used to play a little, little bit of everywhere, and then um, I would say like eight years ago, ten years ago, I was playing a lot in Spain. I did like one gig at yeah. this place called uh, Goa. It was an after party on a in Sunday. Madrid. Wasn't that in Italy? Madrid? No, not the club Goa. Oh, it's a party Goa that was infamous there but i i had never heard of it of course and a friend of mine got me there and uh, i played for peanuts because it was a sunday after you know afternoon after parties like how many people you know 50 mm. people 100 people i get there and it's like 
okay, well, we're going to take you to your stage. And they take me through the main stage. And it's at the venue called Fabric, which you probably Oh, yeah, know. yeah. yeah. Which hold like that place is insanely huge. I was like, this this was not the you know this was not what I was expecting it to be. Uh, later in the night, when I was in the in their office and getting paid, like what was it like eight thousand people? No, we had a record. I think we have twelve thousand people this time. It was wow. Mikael Meyer. How many years ago was this? This is like two thousand eight, okay. two thousand nine. Yeah, and uh, just just before the crisis hit. Yeah, just before the yeah. crisis, and I got I got there, and the, the guy playing before me, a really nice British guy. He had to catch a flight. It was a Sunday, and uh, it, that's when I realized, of course, nobody speaks a lick of English. And uh, I'm trying to tell the guy who's taking care of me that, uh, you know, I just came from the airport, literally. So if I could get something to drink and just a sandwich or water or something, and I get the greasiest sandwich in my hand, like really deep fried in butter and a water. And it's 42 degrees, by the way. It's like burning, oh. scorching hot in Madrid. And I'm playing in the crystal room, which is this basically a, a, a pot hot as hell and this british guy is like okay so you're on at eight and i realize i see the the lineup uh, next to him in the booth and it's not until then i see it's a real brica eight till a midnight uh, four hours, four hours. <laughs> <laughs> like dude i'm making i'm doing a live, a live set, set not yeah, a DJ. and the guy is like uh not the end though i i can't play four hours i just can't and the guy yeah. has to leave so he managed to stretch it out for half an hour so he ends up playing you know almost till eight thirty, and i end up playing my first ever you know at that time i was playing an hour live sets an hour and a half maybe yeah so I played everything I had, <laughs> and it was the best gig I've had, oh, hands down, cool. like best gig ever. Wow! Yeah. Next Excellent. time they booked me in the in the main stage, which was not equally as exciting. And that uh, room is huge, though. It's ridiculous. It's like five thousand eight. I don't know. It's even thousand, I, yeah. Eight, I, mean, I would say yeah, eight thousand. It was fine, but it was not the same vibe. This, you know, the other room, you're down by the the crowd, and it was uh, it, until this day, it's one of those my top three best gigs for oh, me at least. Cool. The the bouncers turn off the sound system finally because you know the the, the people were just like, una mas, una mas. <laughs> uh, I get it, I get it. So I ended up, uh, I ended up, I, I turned on the laptop again, and I played "Enjoy the Silence" just as a last, just as an MP3. And uh, that's when they turned the sound off, actually, the sound system. So, so I ended up turning... to Pesh mode. Yeah, no, <laughs> I ended up turning around the monitors and cranking it up. And then, you know, 300 people came rushing in again. <laughs> and the bounce was like, no, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> so I played for them uh, for many years after that. I like this way of, like, you get a, you have a good gig and you have a, 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 a nice relationship with the back, promoters. Yeah. yeah, and they get you back there. And I yeah. even played for them for their uh, first and only venture in Ibiza, which was for me also a place for the first time that I played. And as much as I had uh, not even have been there, I already hated it, I felt. <laughs> <laughs> and this confirmed my yeah. kind of vision of it. Which club did you play at there? I played at Space there, but this was when uh, in Ibiza when they had recent, back then at least recently, banned all after like after five oh, yeah, every, that summer. so they they got hit hard with this so they couldn't do anything after 5 a.m and yeah whatever it was if the second gig i did then later this i did a gig early in this season and then one later so yeah i played in spain a lot and then the crisis a couple of years later really yeah. hit them bad it's still a place that i love coming back to Me i know too. you do as well yeah but and then holland came and it was holland. the same thing i never had any gigs in holland i play for loveland i think yeah. And uh, and all of a sudden, I'm playing there every <laughs> once every but month. I like 
what I like about Holland is also what I dislike about it. Yeah. Is that it's super professional. Like this, this, you come to your gig and you're greeted by, hi, I'm, I'm Joost. I'm your stage manager. And hmm. yes, I'll take you to the stage now. And you're looking after every, sure. every single thing. Sure. Mind sure. your head, sure. <laughs> Mind your head, sure. Your room has not been <laughs> serviced yet. Sure. Like they're so professional. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like you go to, you're so comfortable when you go in there. But there's also, I think there's like a 50-50 hit rate with, yeah. with those gigs because sometimes it's just part of this massive commercial machine. It's like every weekend they've got like festivals and they've got gigs and they've got all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've got all these people coming and they they take all their like super clean Dutch drugs and they rave. And a lot of them <laughs> don't really, uh, well, I, I get the impression maybe it's, maybe it's just me, you know, they don't, they're not necessarily that like fussed about who's playing. I mean, Obviously, oh, obviously they're somehow, too high to care exactly. and they're, they're just playing and they're just yeah, like having kind of a good dancing time. along and they, they don't care who it is i'm sorry that's a generalization obviously there's there's of plenty course. of discerning clubbers there but but there's also a you know a decent proportion of them who are just there to just party and they go out which is cool they go out religiously every weekend like it's it's very rare that i have like a poorly attended gig in the netherlands but but uh, probably only about 12 of them know who I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's a lot of places. Same with Italy. They'll, mm. they'll book me based on my affiliations with record labels and stuff. Mm. I mean, obviously, now I've built a thing, but at first it was totally because of drum code or whatever. I got a good uh, story about the Netherlands, though. It happened somewhat recently in March. You know, uh, I got picked up from the hotel around 2 or 3 in the morning. They're going to take me down to uh, Western Uni, which is right across from yeah. Gas Hoder, where they do Awakenings. Yeah. About to do a gig there. And I get in the car. I'm like, everything cool? And he's like, well, we had a little problem. And that's like the last thing you want to hear yeah. when you get in the car. You're like, fuck, the cops came or there's nobody there or something died. like that. <laughs> he goes, yeah. Um, well, uh, we, had to, we had to rush someone to the hospital. I'm like, what? Are they okay? He's like... Well, uh, so this guy was... Uh, right, now I remember. <laughs> this guy was just randomly walking around the dance floor and backstage with blood gushing everywhere, totally straight-faced, eyes bugging out, just saying, Hey, uh, have you seen my finger? I've lost my finger. <laughs> sure, have you seen my finger? And they're like, what the fuck? Sure. And they look around and there's blood everywhere and he's missing a finger. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? So the you know the, sorry, the staff gets oh my god the staff sorry. gets out. yeah so it's sorry. terrible I'm so, if sorry. you're listening dude I'm sorry I'm but so it's sorry a, so they're like what do you what what happened to your fingers like ah I don't know he's like super chilled out about it and this is like before I get there and so what had happened was this guy was there was like it wasn't quite backstage but there's an area where he could kind of go behind the DJ and take your picture or act cool or whatever it is the kids do these days and then he was trying to go downstairs. And he was walking down the stairs, and he tripped, and he was about to eat shit, so he quick grabbed onto the railing. But he grabbed onto one of those parts of those steel railings where it's just like straight metal or whatever and severed his finger right off his fucking hand. Fuck. So, you know, he gets up, and he's he's too high to realize it, but, like, his finger is totally gone from his body. And <laughs> he's like, can you, can you help me find my finger? So, um, you know, this party, there's probably... 500 people and uh this was right at the dance floor so they're there with flashlights and cell phones looking around on the dance floor for this little finger and they found it they found the oh. finger on the dance floor of 500 people yeah. so they threw it in a cup of ice sent them off to the er and then they went and picked me up and now comes the best part <laughs> well what i'm playing you know afterwards like the promoters disappear and they come back and he's like 
yeah, the guy called me back to let me know how everything was going because they wanted to know how it was. And he's like, yeah, I got my finger attached back on. Can we come back to the party? <laughs> right? So that's Only the Netherlands for you. <laughs> sure, I'm ready to come back. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I don't have a similar. Well, I, I, no, that kind of reminds me of something. Uh, <laughs> about 10 years ago, I was playing a, a, one of my co-workers leaving parties, which, which was in her house in, in like an estate in Dublin. And... Um, uh, this is back in the days when we played actual records. Well, at least I did. I don't anymore. But um, the uh, I was after the party, like eight in the morning. I was I was uh, sitting on the front wall of the garden with my friend, drinking a beer, with my record bag on my back, and uh, I was a little bit kind of worse for the wear. But my record bag uh, slid off the the wall and pulled me like flopped me backwards back into their front garden. And uh, I, was, I didn't realize it for a second. And then my, my friend Stephen, he said, um, right now, I think there's, there's like blood on the back of your shirt. And I was like, oh, what? And he looked and he said, oh, man, because I had this, I had a mole on the, on the back of my, on my, on my back. And it had actually just been like sheared off. And I was like, because I knew it. I said, okay, well, moles are dangerous. Like, you know, if, you, if they get cut or something like, you know, you should kind of get them looked at. So, and he was like, "Oh, let's go to the doctor." And I was like, "Oh, fair enough." It was, I think, we're leaving parties on Thursday. It was a Friday morning, so we we're like, "Fuck it, like, yeah, let's go to the doctor." Went to my local doctor, absolutely like high as a kite, like drunk off my ass. We my record bags. Before we went into the doctor, conveniently, it was uh, located right next to a supermarket. So we went in. We got a few more cans of beer. Uh, brought them in under our jackets. We're sitting in the waiting room, just like. Uh, about two meters from the receptionist <laughs> waiting for about like 20 minutes just sneaking drinks under, <laughs> underneath her jackets like sneaking sneaky. hand quotes <laughs> <laughs> and then i went in and uh yeah he basically uh he basically gave me like a little injection on the site and he said okay i'll snip off the rest of it and he got like a scalpel and then i went oh you know i've got a couple more moles um <laughs> just on my neck and down here and went all right and he just uh, gave me a little injection in each one and cut them all off so i had like 10 moles taken off my back wow. and my neck while completely hammered and then uh he put, only in ireland <laughs> put, put a little bandage back on and then uh then we called our friends and they were at the uh at the early house at the early bar and we went and joined them yeah right damn so nice you saved guy. yourself a lot of money insurance <laughs> normally won't pay for dermatology calls like that. Yeah, that, that the whole thing cost me 60 euros oh fuck's sake All man right. if you want to do that in the states it'd be way more <laughs> Well, time yeah. to go back to Ireland. They have some new that's molds. It. Fall off a wall. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. RL, so. you ever lost a finger or a leg or anything? No, not really. I mean, last year I did cut my finger oh, yeah, you really did. bad. Yeah. Really? So like, uh, yeah, you see this uh, guy here? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to my roommate who's uh, like, you know, hanging out. And for some stupid of all reasons, I've cut many... Many foreign objects, I was going to say, with very sharp knives. This time I choose to use my very sharp knife to cut bread, dry bread, instead of taking the bread knife. Yeah. The, you know. So it just slides off the bread, of course, and I just chop like my middle finger, a, a, a nice chunk of it, uh, you know, open. Fuck. Uh, the left part, top of my uh, index finger got like, it, it was gone. No. So, you know, I got it. <laughs> he was 
I was more afraid my roommate passing out because <laughs> he was he he just got white and like but he has all these crazy American like uh, not drugs but um, uh, yeah I don't know what pharmaceutical drugs yeah. like you know liquid f- skin what the fuck is that what? super glue liquid skin liquid skin liquid skin I never heard of it but he put my finger in some uh, by, uh, some ble- I don't know what it was but. We got it kind of, you know, I thought at some point it's going to at least, you know, just it'll be okay and I'll, I'll I'll see if I need to patch it up. It just kept bleeding for three, four hours and then finally I got it patched up. And uh, long story short, I thought it would be fine. Uh, by the time I have to play this gig in Sweden, which was uh, Into the Valley, this uh, festival for the first time last year, which, um, you know, did, I... I my my I, I need my hands to play live. This is at least my my left hand. So my my girlfriend uh, repatches it just before the gig from these bulky, like big. Hi Marlena. Band, band, yeah. Hi Marlena. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> these chunks of band aid that I have around my finger, I can't you know I can't play with them. So she just before the gig basically puts plaster on them so I can actually perform. And I get to the stage, set up my gear, and for some amazing reason, they got me a bottle of Shivas, and I do love my scotch and whiskey. <clears throat> and uh, Eric Dunks, the Dunk from New York, and uh, friends, <laughs> cheers, <laughs> from Sweden were there, and they saw the bottle. I'm like, uh, could we have some whiskey? Like, of course, I'm not going to drink the whole bottle for myself. And as I opened uh, the bottle, you know, the metal thing over the, the cork, the top? Yeah. I just, you know, snap it off. And then I feel something. I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. Pour three glasses of whiskey. No. Look at my thumb. And oh, uh, it's dude. a little cut. I'm you know, like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it'll pass. Show starts. I'm, you know, I'm this fucking thumb of mine will not stop bleeding. <laughs> and I'm holding the, the bottles of water, the iced <laughs> bottle of waters with the, the yeah, like humidity thingy around them. Yeah. Um, just kind of to wiping I'm wiping blood off my finger on my pants my pants had like dark stains on them wiping my thumb off the uh, I had a cloth set up on the uh, on the in the booth because it was just concrete yeah thank god so I could just like I rubbed my thumb the blood off of it and at the end of the set like my laptop and the mixer just had stains <laughs> oh, <of> blood. No. <laughs> 45 minutes this damn thing oh my and god. Marlene Bless her soul. Like she had like a she had her pocket filled with uh, band aids. I was just looking around, finding somebody. Like, can somebody just put something on my thumb so it won't stop bleeding? And this is my right hand. I knew at least my right hand is working, so I can yeah. do everything. But yeah, I, I cut my thumb open on a freaking fucking uh, metal uh, aluminium. What do you call it? The the cover on a bottle on a whiskey. Yeah, bottle. like the. Um the metal wrapper or something the metal like wrap the metal wrapper that you know that yeah. so i have two injured fingers and a bleeding oh. thumb oh, epic Dude. so yeah uh, i was like uh a few years ago i had like a really early morning flight i think i was flying from when i lived in barcelona i was flying to to the netherlands actually to amsterdam i think or no no i was flying to sorry belgium i was playing in antwerp and uh, I, I was getting dressed in the morning at six in the morning with my, my my girlfriend at the time. She was asleep and I didn't want to wake her. So I didn't turn on the light. And uh, I was leaning down to bending down to tie my shoelaces. And I smacked my head off my 
my hard wooden desk chair, like a really kind of thin, like hard uh, plywood or something, just the very corner of it, smacked my eye. And my eye, my whole eyebrow split open completely, started like gushing blood. It actually went into my eye. I, I had to go in and, and into the bathroom, like I was washing. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? I've never seen so much blood. It was like streaming down my face. And, and I literally... I was already late for my flight, so I had to like just grab basically a whole wad of toilet tissue, a bunch of like plasters, and I had I on the way to the airport, I think I had to like wipe off all the blood, change the plaster, then then the plaster would get completely sodden with blood, peel it off and put on a new one again, wipe it off. The whole way to the thing, all the way on the plane. I got I got actually when I landed in Antwerp, it had finally coagulated <laughs> So the plaster was on there, was completely stiff with dark blood, and I had to like I, everybody was staring at me. It was like, who the fuck is this? What are you doing? And there was like dried blood, kind of caked down the side of my face. Irish. I had to like try. I had to pull it off, and this is worse because it completely coagulated. And then obviously when I pulled it off, it started bleeding yet again. And it just that that was pretty much the pattern for the whole day. And I played the whole gig, and uh, the only thing I took back from that was like someone someone left a comment on one of the photos from the gig afterwards. Oh, he's trying to impersonate Nelly, you know, Nelly, a rapper with his little white plaster. I was like, I, I just had to. I'm really sorry, but no, actually, I my fucking eyebrow was completely split open that morning. I wasn't doing it for, uh, for some fashion <laughs> statement. You should shave it or like have those vanilla eyes, the two lines. <laughs> for those of you who haven't faded from the detail, it's 20 to 11. Yep. It's four degrees outside. Ah, oh, beautiful. Uh, April. Just checking in on you. If you're driving, be safe out there. Wow, oh, look at you. <laughs> good night, America, wherever you good are. Good night. Or good morning. Just saying. <laughs> Anyway, it is getting a little longer, so let's get towards the tail end of wrapping it up. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, yes. Let's talk about upcoming gigs. Um, what? I'm oh. retired now. Yeah. Up, up, so. I, mean, I think last gig. week we all three of us like. <laughs> yeah, decided. I think we're, all, we're settling into the, the techno retirement home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working that's, on my... That's why we're drinking on a Thursday night. Exactly. What else are is we going to do? Thursday, even? Mm-hmm. See, I thought it was Wednesday. See, like, if... if well, we're out of bitters. And almost out of whiskey. It could almost be a drunk cast. I don't think it quite qualifies. We need another drink or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we are talking about party battle scars, so it's getting close to it. That's <laughs> true. It's true. Well, there's plenty of bars around if, you know. Mm, well, we do probably have that. Well, fuck. We I got to leave in the morning for a gig. Yeah. So. What time? Uh, <laughs> like the strike in 12. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I gotta leave tomorrow morning. Like, oh, I think fourteen hours. Well, that's a thing now. I'm in my thirties. I'm like, I better get my full eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Like when 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 we first both moved here, we'd be like, fuck it, we'll go home at five in the morning, make sure we're there at nine at yeah, the airport. Enough. It didn't matter. No. Now it's like, well, you know, I gotta. I think I gotta watch the new episode of Vinyl and you know, oh, get a good night's sleep. It's oh, Vinyl. Fuck that. Fuck that like, show. I don't even want to just. I haven't seen it. Fuck it. Is it? Okay. I I hate it. <laughs> yeah. The second episode was almost worth it. The first episode is I don't know how I how I like even got through the damn thing. It's terrible. Someday so, I'll I'll divulge into how much I hate that show. But for now, anyway, podcasts, any of that stuff coming up or or releases? Um, well, I've got uh, I'm doing a podcast or I will do. I haven't once I get my house move out of the way. I've got mid-may deadline for a balanced podcast not the not the actual like recorded 
Spaans ones, but yeah, on the uh, out of the out of the Netherlands, right? Um, are they Netherlands? Is it B A L A N S? No, 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 no. Balance, no. like like the ones that do oh, the, like the, the actual CD the, mixes. The CD mixes, but okay. but no, no, I'm not doing a CD mix. I'm doing for their for their website. Okay, so it's but it's a podcast for the website, which I got to complete by the middle of May. Um, my album, my ambient album, is coming out at the start of June on a strangely isolated isolated place under my ambient moniker, which is Marin Karras. And then my EP, I've got like some old school techno coming out on Cocoon in July. So Excellent. Are you, is that a full EP or is that for the whole summer? Um, full EP. That's a, well, that's a full EP. Yeah. And then the, uh, what else? What gigs? Yeah, I've got a couple of gigs in May. I'm playing in, uh, let me see, Switzerland, Bern. Uh, I'm playing in Antwerp. Uh, I just found out my madrid gig is cancelled so no spain unfortunately well surprise surprise and uh where else Uh, i think i'm playing the end of the month uh somewhere else oh god i can't remember now anyway well done well done Ariel, I know uh, you got a record with Sebastian from Minilog. Right, we right. forgot to mention that. Right. Hey, I saw Matthew just uh, Matthew Deer. Sorry, just included that on his essential mix. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Sorry, the verboten gig didn't pan out the way no. he hoped for. Anyway, uh, what else is coming? Yeah, uh, releases apart from the collaboration with this fine gentleman next to me. Um, <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> yeah uh, i got to the point where i assembled uh up to yeah as we said 30 tracks into a folder which i will i'm gonna just give up on trying to finish but see them as demos and i'll take it from there either i'll uh i'll take some of them and release on my own label or uh, i'll i'll try to go through them and not send all of them to a label or, or several so I'm trying to figure that out at the moment. I, I either want to do a, an album, which would be nice to get a chunk of those tracks kind of uh, out there. Um, but also, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big variety of tracks, so they, they could work as uh, two, three different EPs. Uh, Gig-wise, the usual, like play Poland, I think, next in May. Netherlands, uh, all that kind of stuff. Netherlands is. Don't you have a Berlin date coming up, or did that yeah, already happen? I'm playing Watergate the 26th for oh, the uh, charity gig. Yeah, it's a charity gig for um, for uh, it's a refugee kind of uh, uh, thing here. A friend of mine from my distributor was kind enough to invite me, so I'll do that. I've never played at Watergate, so I'm pretty excited about that. And funny enough, I've been living literally five seven minute walk from Watergate for the past two years, more than two years. And I will move on the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. The gig is on the 26th. And then yeah. I'm going to do a, uh, which I basically agreed to today after talking to my counselor and uh, friend, Brendan, here, uh, um, for Beatport Live. I've never had my live set kind of recorded or filmed, but uh, I might do that. So we'll be there to support you. Dear so God. you're actually going to have to plug the cables into your gear this time? No, I have Can an assistant. Real? I have an assistant oh, for that. You shit. Have a TM, Do you need any assistance in press and play? No, but I need somebody to make me those old fashions. Oh, We'll make this a we family thing. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, gigs, you know, gigs, gigs are when all right. When is that? When is that? 26th is uh, Watergate. 27th on, fri- on the Friday is uh, of May, of May. 
Oh yeah, is okay. on uh, it, at Prince Charles here in Berlin. So. The Beeport Live. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because when I did it, it was in the Beeport office. Yeah. So at least you're doing it in front of. See, that's club. what I don't yeah. get. Like, Where is it at now? At Prince, oh, Charles. Prince Charles. Prince Charles. No, okay. that's cool. Because I did. Yeah, but the, it's, uh, the, it's early in the evening. That's what. But I, that, that's like when we played in Prince Charles. That ah, was that time. So, remember? That was yeah. like a Friday evening. So, so people would be, still come. Yeah, and it's going right. to be hopefully. Barbecue and shit. Hopefully by then summer might have arrived. So yeah, that, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. But I was just imagining me alone in a club with four cameras. No, there's going to be people there. Surely. I mean, I hope so. It'd that be, means I have to redo otherwise. my live set even. <laughs> <laughs> shit. 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 Well, anyway, um, one last question before we leave here. Um, this is your last chance if you want to ruin your career. Anything you want to say that's racist, homophobic, put anybody on blast, uh, just, you know, really drive the nail into the coffin for the career? Uh, I do that enough on Facebook already. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I think... People who know me will. I, I think it's enough now. Right. I don't want any yet. No, no. Well, if you good. if you ever want to call, come back on and, and ruin the career, just uh, give me a shout. So thank you for rubbing that in. <laughs> thank you. Uh, All right. No, I, I really enjoyed it, Brennan. Thanks for bringing over the the booze and making us some booze. nice old fashions. You very well. Well, uh, well done. Thank, thank you, you for, for bringing us. the chocolate. Oh, you guys have a good one. You too, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah. Auf Wiedersehen. Ta ta for now. Ciao. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>